Well, our text is Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. You may put your finger in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Hopefully we'll get there before the morning is out, and we'll get into the rest of this message tonight. But um, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where I'll be going. But right now it's Revelation 3.10. You know, last Christmas, I don't know why I got onto that today, but last Christmas... Uh, somebody gave us an Alexa for Christmas. Now, a lot of you know what that is, okay? And so it got all set up. And so you just say, Alexa, tell her what to do. And I like to do that. I like telling a woman what to do. And uh, so I, I say, Alexa. And then I uh, get, the, but what my most fun is when I get home. If I beat my wife there, before, if I get home before she does, I'll say, Alexa. Shut up, woman. <clears throat> it's the only time I can get away with saying that to a woman, okay? I mean, my wife's got a powerful right, so I don't say that to her, all right? So, so I, I just say, uh, Alexa, shut up. But, you know, I got to thinking about that. If machines take over the world, I'm in big trouble, okay? <laughs> big trouble. Okay, you'll notice the flags are up here. We have the flag over here to my right, of course, the first responders flag, and then this is the 9-11 flag. You know, uh, Janice and I were on a visit uh, that Thursday after 9-11. That Sunday, a couple had visited here. So we went to their home to share the gospel with them. But as we were sharing the gospel, uh, the tears just flowed freely. And I thought, man, I'm not much into this gospel yet, and yet, boy, they're just crying away, and I'm saying, uh, they're still under conviction from Sunday. And then, uh, for some reason, I felt like saying, well, uh, are you all right? No, and they, they said, uh, well, our daughter just died in one of the Twin Towers. She worked there. And, of course, that was devastation. That couple did come to know the Lord before they ever went to be with the Lord. They come to know the Lord here and were part of us for a while. So, you know, I got to thinking of that as we're doing this subject of the rapture. Because one day the rapture is going to come. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, it's going to come regardless. There's... The, the moment it happens, it's going to be too late for you to do anything about that part. But as a Christian, if you're saved, it'd be too late to do something about, oh, man, I better straighten things up. He's coming. Oh, he's going to be here tomorrow even. No, you better take care of it right now. You don't know the day nor the hour. No man does. So be ready. So with that thought in mind, we read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, if you're saved, you won't be here for that. That's going to be after the rapture. And he's rapturing us out, so we won't have to be a part of that. And that's just 
a promise, one of the promises of it, that you better know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and be a part of that. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get to the message for today. Lord, John said uh, there in Revelation 22, even so, Lord, come Jesus, and that should be the desire of every Christian. Yet, Lord, we think of loved ones, friends, acquaintances, that we're just not sure they're saved. And Lord, I pray that if they're not, they will come to know Christ as their Savior. Then if there are those who are saved but just far away from the Lord, oh Lord, I pray you'd bring them to the realization of the immediacy of the need that lies before them to be right with God as a Christian. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now last week, uh, in the two sermons we preached on this last week about the rapture, uh, we told you that the rapture means catching up. As a matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, said they'd be caught up. 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the dead shall rise first. And the, then those that are alive remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So you see that uh, changed in a moment. We're caught up. We're caught up there. And the word caught up came from a Greek word, uh, harpezo, we was telling you about. Uh, just because people say the word rapture is not in the Bible. Latins called it raptura. Somehow we adopted it as rapture. So if you don't, if you say, well, those words are not in the Bible, then just call it the caught up. Doesn't sound smart, but it's uh, the caught up, the rapture. We know it as the rapture, so we call it the rapture. That's when every saved person in the grave and those walking on the earth are caught up to be at the Lord in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And you know what's so interesting is the world will know that that took place. The graves will be overturned, but the body brought up is changed. Coming back. You see, the Spirit has been with the Lord the whole time if they were already uh, sleeping in the Lord, if they were already had died. Their Spirit's been with the Lord ever since. But there's going to be a bodily resurrection as well. And so, it's like a coming back to life, but it's just a little bit different. Remember Jesus Christ, after His resurrection, He passed through locked doors and windows, suddenly appears, and those guys are scared half to death. Everything's locked up, and there He is. He appears. And so we begin to wonder, wow. Well, just imagine those people passing through the grave and the moment I believe that they're passed through, because you go back, you know, you know how far that goes back? We can go back to Adam. Uh, you can go back to those that were burnt at stakes and reduced to ashes. Suddenly brought together those deep in the seas of the uh, oceans that have, have drowned there, that have been swallowed alive, whether it's by fish or they drowned and, and they were eaten alive or eaten while they were dead there and those bodies down there consumed. 
suddenly brought up out of the water, brought up out of the graves, brought from the dust. But understand, that body that lies in the grave right now is empty of a spirit. And the very moment the Lord says, as He says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, Come up hither in a moment. And when He comes up, that's not the same body. Come up, He reunites that spirit, I believe, with the body at the very moment it's coming up. The graves are overturned as a witness to the world. It did happen. And they will know. And then all of a sudden they're scrambling to figure out how can we figure this out? How can we do anything about this? But it has happened. And so we have here that, uh, that the resurrection takes place. We're caught up. Now as I've told you before, the rapture does not start the tribulation. But the tribulation does not start until after the rapture. So we covered that last week, but we wanted you to know that because what we're trying to point out is, is that the fact is, is that the rapture or the tribulation starts when the world leader confirms a covenant with Israel. Then the tribulation will begin. So it's in this tribulation that now we're addressing. The people have been caught up, they're gone, and this world leader arises. But while that world leader has arisen, he's still not doing what he was going to do yet. He's gaining power, he's gaining authority in this world. The devil is opening doors for him to do that. But in the meantime, God has two witnesses. And they're prophesying. They're calling fire from heaven. They're doing things when, uh, and, and, and some of the things they're doing is putting people in great fear because they still don't want to repent. So many things are going on. And then this Antichrist confirms a covenant with Israel. Now we told you before, we call him the Antichrist, has that name in Scripture. Uh, more often, Scripture refers to him as the beast. What is his name going to be? That people will know him by? I don't know. I don't know what his name will be. The Bible doesn't reveal that. and tells it, it won't be revealed until after we're gone. So, don't waste your time in trying to figure out, I wonder who the, an the Antichrist is today. People had Hitler. After that, they had whoever the Russian leader was. After that, whoever's evil. Now it's uh, Saddam Hussein, and then it's uh, this guy, and it's that guy. It's one after another. And sometimes Christians are so quick to jump on something and just say, Oh, that shows the Lord is coming back today. Look, it might be another 50, 100 years before the Lord comes back. I, th I don't think it'll be that. I think he's going to come back very soon. But what I'm telling you is that uh, when he comes back, it's going to be in a moment in the twinkling of an eye that we're caught up. Now, that rapture is not the second coming. He said, wait a minute. How could that not be the second coming? 
Because the second coming is when He comes to touch earth at the end of that seven year tribulation. That whole seven years there is judgment being poured out upon this earth. But that wrath, it is not, it is not the second coming. It's when He touches earth and He sets up His kingdom for the millennium, then that is going to be the second coming of Christ. Now this Antichrist that rises up, this beast, he makes the conf uh, confirms the covenant with Israel. That's why we told you that the first sign was that Israel is back in the land. But that's not the regathering of Israel that Christ does at the end of the tribulation. The regathering is when they're from the four winds, but there's enough people in Israel that they have a government, that they occupy the land, and they're in Jerusalem. Now, they weren't in Jerusalem. A lot of people go back to 1948, and the UN said they're in the land, but it wasn't until 1967 they controlled Jerusalem. But we don't go by dates here. We go by the Word of God, okay? Now, having said that, having said all of that, these guys are preaching, things are going on, this Antichrist comes in, everybody says, oh, what a great leader he is, and, and he's, he's being just really glorified by everybody. Now, what I'm about to say is not the Antichrist, it's not anything to do with that, but it is an example, okay, an example. When, when Mr. Trump became the president, a lot of things changed. Our financial situation changed. A lot of things changed, and we say for the good. Israel got to be uh, Jerusalem as its capital, and so many other things around the world. And we say those things were good for people. And then he lost the election. We won't talk about that, okay, but he did lose the election. Whether it was fair or not, whether it was right or wrong, no matter. He's not the president. Now people are talking about 2024. You say, well, now why are you talking about that? Are you doing political speech? Not, not at all. What I'm trying to say is that this Antichrist has a deadly wound in his head. Well, we think of Trump as being the head of the country. And his deadly wound is healed, and all the world wanders after the guy. Well, think of that of the Antichrist. Somehow he's a leader, something bad happens, his wound in the head, and then he's raised up. And all the world wanders after the beast. And this beast, according to Revelation chapter 13, and chapter 11, really chapter 11 beginning with it, he has power. And those two prophets had been preaching that everybody's afraid of because they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with salvation. They want nothing to do with the holiness of God. He puts them both to death. They lie in the city of Jerusalem three days. People are doing it like it's Christmas time. They're sending gifts one to another, celebrating. This guy, that, these two men that preached and brought such misery in their lives calling them to repentance. And some will get saved, by the way. But calling them to repentance and, and 
preaching against their sin and calling down judgments on fires from heaven and things of that nature. All of a sudden, after three days and everybody's celebrating, I hope the world is watching and they're caught up. They come back to life and they're caught up to be with the Lord. Now everybody's scared half to death. And so in Revelation 13, what does this beast do? He curses God. And he says it makes war against the saints and he overcomes them. And so the people of the world are saying, who can make war with this God, with this man? The temple is on the mount now. Perhaps he's led in the rebuilding of it. But then in the middle of that seven-year covenant he has made, he goes in and sets up an image of himself to be worshipped. It's called by Jesus Christ himself the abomination of desolation. Understand those first three and a half years was not Satan pouring out his anger on the earth. It was not. Some say Satan has the first three and a half years of wrath, then there's a resurrection. Or at least he has some, till Satan's wrath is over, then people won't be resurrected. That is another doctrine out of hell. Okay. Again, this is the time of God's wrath being poured on the earth. It'll only increase more and more and more with each judgment that's poured out in, in the book of Revelation as you see it. But you see, this world leader has power, and all the world wanders after him. And so, that seven-year period, he is gaining all power and authority. That seven-year period will be the most devastating history of all mankind. For that seven years. Now, the flood destroyed the earth, all living creatures therein, except those on the ark. But that was kind of an immediate thing. The tribulation is seven years. It'd be kind of like, be like a worldwide holocaust. But, again, it's not the Holocaust, it's worse than that. That's coming to this earth. You say, when's it coming? No man knows the day nor the hour, but my Father which is in heaven, Jesus said. Think about that. Not even the angels he said, no, only the Father, and it happens in his time. So we saw that one of the first signs of the near rapture. Now, there's a lot of people who give signs about the alliance of nations and things like that, things that will happen in the tribulation. We're not talking about things that are going to happen in the tribulation, although I've mentioned that. I'm talking about signs you and I have today that the Lord said would be prevalent when he comes. One of those signs was the first one was that Israel is in the land. Now, 
Last week, I used another one of something that does go on in the tribulation, but we have an example of it now. And we find out that there will be pestilence throughout the tribulation. Again, we can call it pandemic, epidemic, means the same thing. But you see, we've learned something from it this time. There's been pandemics. There's been epidemics. There's, those things have been down through history. I mean, we, uh, you had the Black Plague. You had those things. Of, you can go around graves in America and find graves where we're killed and died during this different plague, this that hit. Non, you can go throughout the world that way. No, those have gone on. So what's so different about this? I think it became aware even more so this week. But they were talking about the vaccine. Now, again, I'm not saying anything against the vaccine or for the vaccine, okay? I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm trying to say is to mandate the vaccine. I find it interesting that they want to mandate, some people want to mandate it, and yet a lady says, I can kill a human baby in my body because it's my body and I have control. Well, why can you do that, but you can't control whether or not you get a vaccine? Do you have control of your body or not? It's your body. I, I just wonder about that. As I said, I'm not making a statement about the vaccine, but I'm talking about the principles involved. And what I'm saying is that there might be, uh, this might be a good illustration of that day. Because everybody is going to have to receive a mark in their right hand or their forehead. They can't buy, they cannot sell, they cannot trade unless they have that mark. And to us, we think, how would people let that happen? I sometimes wonder how some things are going on right now in our country, how people are letting it happen. So, how could people let that happen? But here's what I'm looking at. That's what I'd say, a sign of what's going to happen then, but we see it now with the pandemics, the pestilence. It's, they're saying, okay, if you are employed by us, you've got to have the vaccine. People losing their jobs. Penalties. Other things required. We've talked about air flights not being allowed to get on an airplane if you don't have the pandemic. Military requiring their people to have these things. But you see in the tribulation, it's going to be, you get the mark, and there's two, one of two things. You can't buy or sell or trade, that's for sure. The other thing, you don't bow down and worship that image. You don't take the mark, they may just go ahead and kill you anyway. That's why you look at things such as it's happened in, it happened in Russia, happened in Germany, it happened in China, it happened in Vietnam, it's happened in uh, Cambodia. Take away the weapons from the people, then they don't have anything to stop our armies. And they go and control those people, Control who eats and doesn't eat. And so those things come up. You say, now why are you saying that? Are you talking about the day or? 
I'm talking about we see today things that are going to be throughout that seven-year period of tribulation. It ought to wake us up. Because every one of us, Romans chapter 14, shall give account of himself unto God. Every saved person will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. My friend, uh, what you think is acceptable excuses now will be laughable, if not so sad, in heaven. And yet you won't have to present it as an excuse. Once you see the glories of heaven, you'll know how dumb your excuses actually were. Oh, yes. It's coming, and it's going to be a worldwide thing. Now, people in land, pestilences, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like these, the, that's, those are the things that happen first, and they could. But then there's another third, a third sign that's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to get into that tonight. But I want you to read verses 1 through 5, if you will, this afternoon sometime. Not now. Tonight we're going to be going over verses 1 through 5. You look at the contemporary movement. You look at the movement of Calvinism and so many other things. Those are things that are being an example to us of the last days before the return of Christ for us to be raptured, should I say, to meet him in the clouds. Now, what I want to do before we close is I want to share with you something that just really stood out to me. And, and to be honest with you, you say, how long did he pray and prepare and think on that? I was telling Brother Woodard after Sunday school today, I saw this this morning and it just jumped out at me. And I said, I've got to share that with the people. I don't know when, but I've got to do it. We talk about faith. And again, faith is not intellectual understanding. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And people think, well, that's intellectual understanding. I know that Jesus died for me and was buried and rose from the dead. And so because he did that, then... I believe it, so heaven's my home. But actually, faith, because you say you believe that, is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we call it repentance. But it is a deliberate, a deliberate uh, commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we, I like to use the example of marriage and its commitment. But in Mark chapter 14, verses 34 through 36, I want to read something that happened there that every one of you are probably familiar with this if you've been a Christian for just a little bit. This is Jesus Christ with his disciples. They've left the upper room. He's headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where the soldiers will come and take him to be crucified. 
So as he's talking to the disciples there, now there's down to 11. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. And then he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed. Now think about this. He's told these people to watch. He's exceedingly sorrowful. He had told the disciples to sit there and then he will take Peter, John, and James with him. It says, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it might be possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, we all know that. We've heard that. Easter, you often hear that. But I want you to consider verse 36 of Mark chapter 14. And he said, Abba, Father. I've shared with you walking in Israel one time and going up a pathway and there's some Jewish men there with their children, their families. And uh, I was leading a group on, on that particular one where we were going back there to look at uh, the place there where David hid from Saul. And as we were walking up that pathway, that little boy saw me because I was leading the group and he looked at me and that scary looking guy is coming at me. You could see the thoughts in his face and you could see the fear coming on. And he turned to his father and he said, Abba, Father. Boy, I tell you, I'm glad I got to see that and hear that because it was, he was so full of fear. See, what you got to realize, was Jesus God throughout eternity past? Is he still God today? Yes. But it wasn't until 2,000 years ago he took on human flesh. And as that father just kind of put his arm around his little boy that was standing by him, and the boy could feel safety with his daddy, here's Jesus. And he hears this, He's, he knows what's coming. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. The omnipotence, the omniscience of God. He who is sovereign, who has the right to do whatever he wants with that which is his. He could do something. There's nothing impossible for him. Abba, Father. All things are possible unto thee. Here's a son in his humanity pleading with his father. And he says, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Now you think of what it took to say that. 
Jesus knew fully that my sin would be put upon him for all time. Your sin for all time. Every sin you ever have and I ever have committed and ever will commit was placed upon him. He bore our sins. It wasn't the Roman spears and nails and spitting and everything else they did to him. It's the fact that he knew the Father would pour out his wrath on his human spirit. Poured out on his human spirit. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now the Father is not going to send angels this time to minister to him as he did in Gethsemane, as he did in the wilderness. This time, he's bearing it alone. Jesus knows that. And he says in his humanity to his Father, and understand, what does the Father feel about this? when His only begotten Son is saying this to Him. See, it's different than us. Because the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. But the Father began to form Jesus over a nine-month period Himself inside of Mary. And give him a human spirit. You know, I think of Adam laying on the ground, just being made from the dust of the earth, and then God breathing into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. At the resurrection, I'll become a living soul because I'm already alive, but now I'll have that very spirit. All sin gone all clean, but now, but now, but now, here's his son pleading with him, and yet, but not my will, but thine be done. Have you ever been in the crucibles of life? And you prayed and said, God, help me, and I, I need deliverance from this. And it didn't come. You prayed for a loved one to live and they didn't make it. You prayed for something to go away and it didn't happen. You asked the Lord to turn something around and it didn't happen. Jesus had everything placed upon him and nothing of it he deserved. Yet he had risen, he had called people and raised them from the dead. He had touched lepers and healed them completely. He healed the blind and made them to see. And he calls them to his father. Knowing that he can do it. But that will be done. Later he would say, I could call 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. Why? Because God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Father hurt to see his Son, but he loved us. And he had to pour out his wrath on his only Son. And Jesus took it because he loves us. But Hebrews 12, 2 says it best. For the joy set before him, but he was despising. Despising. Yes, on the cross, Jesus despised the shame. But he endured. Sometimes people wonder, I don't have to be there every time the doors are open at church. I don't have to be a witness. I don't have to do this. Don't. No, you don't. It's just loss of reward if you don't. But what I'm saying is separation from the world, separation from sin in the Christian life. Do we care that Jesus actually died for us, was buried and rose from the dead? Has that become a fact that you actually believe? We actually believe it. But it no longer stirs our heart. My friend, if you're saved today, I'm glad you're saved. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm thankful He keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. We'd all lose our salvation. But I also hope that if you're not sure today that you will no longer play Russian roulette with your soul. He says if you come to Him right now, no, no matter who you are, what you've done, He'll in no wise cast you out. Can you say absolutely for sure that you know by the Word of God that if you died today that heaven's your home? If not, would you come to him? Let's bow our heads, please.